Dr. Elizabeth Kelly, you conducted the recent Carnegie UK Trust research on the role of kindness in healthcare. Now that led to a report, The Courage to Be Kind, which calls for a real shift in the way colleagues in the health and caring world relate to each other. What did that piece of work reveal to you? So the people who, who um, contributed to the report told us about the energy, the common purpose. Barriers and targets went away and really allowed people to focus on the experience of, of people throughout the healthcare service. Um, it was also, um, they felt important to recognise that sometimes it felt they were working in an unkind environment. Not people not being able to visit loved ones, being gowned, being masked, speaking to people over the telephone uh, rather than in face-to-face environments. But also they kind of gave us a, a clear um, energy about the common purpose that was powerful. And they had a real desire to have conversations about how to build kindness, how to build this passion into a different performance framework. There were also fears, Penny, about returning to the old normal that we all recognise wasn't delivering the best possible outcomes for people. Now, you've been a general practitioner, you've been a health board chair, you've worked in an extremely pressurised environment all your career. You know how challenging it can be. So why do you think that kindness is the key to making things better? I'll talk about my own personal experience of, of clinical practice um, as a GP working in uh, various different environments. The welcome that people get as they walk into the building, um, the essence of a, of a welcome and of a value as a person was absolutely fundamental. I've recently been a patient and it it is a strange environment that we invite people into at times where people are really vulnerable. And actually that eye contact, that hello, how are you, that feeling of um, being seen as a person is absolutely critical. From the moment as a GP, I go and greet somebody from the waiting room and bring them into my room. Those first two or three minutes of seeing them as a person in the context of their own lives, for me, was always fundamental. And the feedback I got was that it was really important to the people I was was working with. Um, I listened to them. I saw them in the context of their own lives. I also had feedback when I didn't get it right, when I didn't um, see people as a whole. And if you look at the range of issues that people give feedback to the health service and some of them are complaints a lot of it is about that human relationship communication um honest conversations and i think for me as a general practitioner and as a doctor and as somebody who has experienced healthcare and no doubt as i get older will experience more i'd like always to be seen as a person and to that person sitting opposite me to see me as a person first rather than as a heart condition or a lung condition or a stomach condition. And then translating that to how members of a team work with one another. Uh, Is it as important there? And if so, why? It is sometimes, again, my personal experience, very easy to separate out your holistic person from the, the role that you have when you're at work. And perhaps we all do that to a bit. Um, and sometimes it feels quite like a safe space when you come to work. I think the pandemic has 
really opened up the fact that we all have other lives to live. That actually, if we are fulfilled at work and we get up in the morning looking forward to going to work and that work doesn't exhaust us because we've got good relationships, we enjoy doing what we're doing, that the the bureaucracy that is needed is um, proportionate and applicable and doesn't take us away from the core of why we're there. I think it makes a huge difference. I've heard some very powerful stories, Penny, of um, a number of people who are, have been unable to go into their normal workplace because of the appropriate restrictions that the pandemic has put on them. People who are working from home, who are listening to really distressing stories from people they would normally be able to see in the, in the context of their, own, of their own office or work, and trying to hold those conversations at the same time as they may be trying to homeschool or to have other family members around. And I think it's brought us closer to who we are as, as people, um, the pandemic, but also um, if we are working in isolation in those circumstances, then actually that can be really feel very um, unkind. And I think something about each of us who work in teams, looking out for each other, asking, how are you really? What's going on at home? And for that team leader to create space for those conversations is something that we should all encourage. You mentioned that some people that were involved in your research feared going back to the old normal. Now, you know, they described harsh working environments. How did our NHS end up that way? Public services increasingly um, have been focusing on things that can be controlled and measured easily, uh, perhaps at the expense of that human relationships that we've been talking about. It's compounded by the political and media access that puts increasing pressure on delivery. What we face then, Penny, is a we lose sight of that common purpose about why people come into a, a health and care service, which is about the, the willingness and the desire to be able to care for people. If we lose sight of that common purpose, it can cause moral injury. Explain um, moral injury. Moral injury, I would argue, is that the working environment and the conditions of the working environment that preclude you from doing what your core values are about. So if your core values are to come to work to do the best you possibly can to care for people to improve their outcomes and the system in all sorts of different ways, whether it be technology, the data that needs to be collected, the demands of time, perhaps the, the lack of relationships within your team, then you've got it, that mismatch between that moral value, the moral compass against what the system is doing to you. If kindness is as critical as you believe, how do we measure it? How do we discover where it exists, where it's flourishing and where it's not? I would like to see a real focus on, on what's coming about staff well-being, not just about the deficits of how many days people are taking off because of, of ill health, both physical, emotional and and. Um, and, and mental health, but actually what it is that we can do that encourages and builds into um, all of our strategies, a real well-being strategy for staff that actually recognises um, when people are struggling, 
Can we produce some flexible working patterns? Can we have wellness days rather than sickies? You know, just let's think about it in a different way so that it's positive and it's absolutely valued that each member of people of people working in the health and care service are seen as people and it valued because if we don't, we lose the essence of what a care service would be about. But what we've learned through the work of the pandemic, and that's not just Carnegie's work, there's a lot of other people looking at the experiences of staff well-being. We're hearing lots now about um, the exhaustion of many frontline staff who've been delivering care right across the service. Um, we know that there are risks of anxiety, depression and PTSD coming. So what can we do to enable people to keep as well as possible as the pandemic eases? We can encourage space for reflective conversations, just like we're having now, just like we had in the report, Encourage to be Kind. And that's being developed in some local board areas. There are opportunities to contact different places. It may be the Promise website that we, we'll talk about. There is a national wellbeing helpline run by NHS 24 for staff. Um, and there are local services where people can say, actually, I'm not well at the moment. Um, I am struggling. Can I have a conversation? The essence of restrooms, of, of downtime, hot food, basic human needs in the workplace. But there are going to be a lot of people working in the system that are going to want to see something like, for instance, a pathway, the steps that they can take to achieve this. Does such a thing exist? Um, I think it's, it's haphazard, Penny. There are some really good examples of where um, teams come together and have a conversation. How are you? Um, and in the event that someone is less well um, or is struggling, they have an opportunity to talk about that with space, with dignity and respect, and that's valued. There are organisations who have commitment, if somebody is off with anxiety and stress, of various different interventions within very limited time scales, and that's seen very positively. But the first thing is to recognise that you're, it's all right to say, I'm not all right. And that comes back to the kindness to self that we'll talk about in another podcast. But actually, we're, we're human. We've got frailties and that should be celebrated. Thank you so much, Dr. Elizabeth Kelly. As you have mentioned, we explore other aspects of kindness in other editions of this podcast. Uh, so please tune in, listen again. This is The Courage to be Kind, a podcast exploring the role of kindness in health and social care workplaces in Scotland. More episodes and more information can be found on the Carnegie UK Trust website at www.carnegieuktrust.org.uk.